All right, guys, we are T minus less than two weeks to create, almost a week to create. Woohoo, exciting. We've been talking about this Crazy. all year. It's coming, it's coming. The margaritas are flowing. We're ready to go. Yes. <laughs> totally. I feel like margaritas are flowing was the right way to put it. We're just going to. Where? Yeah. There's, they are flowing there at Margaritaville now. We are just not there yet to, uh, to have cool? them flow to us. Wouldn't it be cool if their pool was a margarita? Like if you, you could drink the pool? Oh, no. That's awful. <laughs> that just sounds disgusting. Hold on a second. In this fantasy of yours in which the pool is a margarita, can people swim in it? Yes, it's also shaped like a margarita in in my in my vision. It's it's margarita juice. We've already been like over that part. Margarita Holly, you've already brought juice. up it is... it's liquor. It's liquor. It, it sanitizes things. It's tequila. That just sanitizes everything. No. Okay, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Let's just hit timeout because I am a big fan of uh, two dots and a dash. The wonderful three bar. Dots and a dash. Three dots and a dash. I never remember <laughs> how many dots they got at that place. Three dots and a dash. Uh, and in Chicago, wonderful, uh, cocktail bar. I'm sure a lot of listeners are familiar because we all end up there at the NRA show. Um, and they have a couple options that you can order. They are a treasure chest and a pirate ship that they make cocktails in and then provide a bunch of straws. And you two always give me grief about getting these with friends and drinking out of them. I give you grief because you don't include me. She gives you grief because it's gross. It is gross. Regardless. Even I have a line I won't cross, Holly, and that line is a swimming pool margarita that you drink out of. But, like, can't you just imagine, like, a waterfall at the end of the pool and it's just sprouting margarita and you can go underneath it and fill up your cup? Hold on. Do you also know how sugary margaritas are? So when you get out of this pool, just think about how sticky you are. Ugh, everything about this is terrible. I think it's lovely. I think it's a wonderful. For the record... The Margaritaville Resort, where we are hosting Create in Palm Springs, California, does not have margaritas in their swimming pool. They just have a regular old swimming pool. Well, a can very you get nice a margarita one. delivered to the swimming pool? You, uh, so there is a, a poolside pool tiki bar. Poolside tiki perfect, bar. Perfect. So you there can you sit go. in the non-margarita water and the regular chlorine water with your margarita in your hand. Which, which sounds way better. I don't still like, I don't like the thought of it being margarita and she just whatever you need to cup. tell yourself whatever you need to tell yourself you to scoop. okay so to each his own but i yes. feel like that leads right into our first bizarre story of taco bell with its gelato and energy drinks which is absolutely bizarre is that really I'm, that bizarre it's taco bell gelato gelato at taco bell it's Taco Bell, though. Like, they take chances. They do crazy things. This is they Taco have, Bell like, we're talking frozen about. frozen drinks. I don't know. It feels like a, feels like the right vibe. I was not I mean, surprised, I would say. The gelato news, I was surprised by the energy drink. I wasn't because that makes total sense. The energy drink only gives me pause because is Mountain Dew not already basically an energy drink? <laughs> like, there's so much caffeine in Mountain Dew. Okay, well, so before we get too deep into it, the story is that Taco Bell has been testing a Mountain Dew flavored gelato and a Mountain Dew flavored energy drink. They came out about a week apart, um, but they're testing these two new items with Mountain Dew as their partner. Um, So I find it very interesting. I realize you guys don't think it's as wild as I do, but uh, Sam's face looks like he just discovered something new. So I can't wait to hear what he discovered. I was looking at my email. Anyway, um, (laughs) I, I... 
when Holly speaks, I tend to zone out. Um, no, here's what I think. I mean, look, again, going back to my previous comment, I don't, I'm never surprised by anything Taco Bell does. And that's not a knock on Taco Bell. That's actually quite the compliment because they do some wild stuff because Taco Bell is not really, you know, constrained by some of the standards that a lot of other restaurants are. I mean, you think about, you know, Chipotle and the way we dissect every little menu move and is it part of their brand? And often the answer has been no, because Chipotle kind of has this is kind of boxed in. Now that's changing uh, in the new Chipotle regime, but Taco Bell has zero box. I mean, they have their box meals, of course, but they don't, they're not boxed in by any kind of standards. They try crazy stuff. Now, as for these two particular items, you know, for starters, of course, the obvious Taco Bell, Yum Brands and Pepsi are like yin and yang. I mean, these are two companies that have been, well, they were, you know, once part of the same company um, and they've been together for a long, long time. And so PepsiCo, Yum Brands working together on innovation like this, that makes sense. Um, but let's let's take this deeper and talk about the trend in energy drinks in general, because Taco Bell is not the only one working on energy drinks. Energy drinks are a growing category. Um, I assume skews younger. Um, but, you know, when you think about caffeinated beverages, if soda's not doing it for you and coffee's not doing it for you, well, uh, energy drink is the next solution. And there is a growing uh, demographic of people who want that um, beverage and restaurants. That's a, a big, big, big untapped opportunity for restaurants. And so Taco Bell's identified that and is going that direction. Gelato, that one is a little bit more off the beaten path. And 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 it's only tested in one Irvine location. Of course, Taco Bell's based in Irvine. So that might just be something that they're just like, you know, having some fun with. But gelato would be a lot harder for them to roll out at any kind of scale because gelato would require now they do have the frozen beverages, but I assume they would need some totally new equipment to serve gelato. But I'm not I don't know the specifics of that. But that one is a little bit more complex from the operational standpoint. Yeah, to Sam's point about energy drinks as a trending category, <clears throat> we have seen energy drinks at a lot of chains lately. Um, this is the only the second non-beverage brand that I can think of that's breaking into it. So we've got like energy drinks at Starbucks, Tim Hortons, Dutch Bros, which are all like in that space. Um, and Panera has done some energy drinks Um Obviously not a beverage chain, but they do have a heavy focus on their SIPs program. Uh, so with Taco Bell breaking into this energy drink space, what it really makes me think is, okay, who's next? This feels like it could be a tipping point of like, oh, Taco Bell is doing energy drinks. So let's start developing ours like at other chains across the country. Um, I actually didn't realize that so many of those chains had energy drinks until I read Alicia's story uh, about Taco Bell. So. That is where I feel like this could be really interesting. I feel like now that Taco Bell is doing it in the next few months to a year, we may start seeing energy drinks at more and more non-beverage focused restaurants. Well, so two things here. One, I think that the rise of Celsius, that energy drink that a lot of people are using, is part of the big push towards these energy drinks that chains are developing because, yes, it is a white space but it's a growing white space. So I think that that's part of it, but also kind of off, off the track of what we were just talking about. I could have, I, I would have thought that their first collaboration would have been with Doritos for an ice cream. And on our TikTok, you can see a video of Milk Bar, which has a Cheeto and cheese cake, which is kind of what 
it would I would expect the Taco Bell to do a little bit more of like a little bit more of this like you know the the really innovative flavors of like cheese and like seasoning and something so sweet like gelato so I was expect I was thinking that it would go more in that direction than the Mountain Dew which is already kind of sweet um play with like that savory sweet thing but those are just my thoughts I cheese the, I, mean, I might be projecting here but cheese as part of a treat does not resonate <laughs> I, I, I don't know even though and this is crazy when you think that ice cream is dairy and so is cheese so what's the big deal but I, I recently saw on a menu somewhere a cheese flavored ice cream uh and my reaction was ew you know versus i mean again something that's already sweet like a mountain dew um well that just makes more sense but but yeah i mean i i would i also would not be surprised if taco bell rolled out a uh, Doritos gelato, you know, like again, it's on brand for Taco Bell to take some big swings, but it's, it's not, you know, these are not national rollouts. These are tests. They'll see how they go. And, and by the way, they're, they're small, very small little tests that we're still talking about. Like that's the power Taco Bell has. This is not a national rollout that got our attention. This is a little test. I think we're all curious to see like when a little test like that goes on to become something like Doritos Locos Tacos, which really kind of changes the game in R&D for a while. You know, we did Menu Tracker yesterday. We filmed Menu Tracker, the video version. And it was so interesting to see the through line throughout most of these was that there was a lot of spicy items. And I feel like the Doritos ice cream could even veer a little spicy, but there was a lot of spicy items that came out in the past three weeks on menus across the country. So I'm very, I think that's another trend that we could be looking out for that maybe Taco Bell is going to go. They had their volcano menu, which was super successful. But they took it off again. So I, you know, they play around with all those kinds of things. So I wonder if they'll pipe in again now that spice is kind of at the forefront. Yeah, spice is not going away. That's only going to grow more and more. I mean, younger generations, I think, have have much more clearly more adventurous palates, and they are going to have palates that can deal with spicy flavors a lot better because the more spicy flavors become mainstream the more kids are eating and getting used to it and so that's that's only going to grow for sure and will will continue to be an opportunity now again though spicy and ice cream uh, it works perfectly because the ice cream would cool so it'd be like a spice that hits you first and the rest of the ice cream would cool it down but i guess when you do eat like a spicy pepper you're supposed to drink milk Uh, so that's basically what it is is, this is the natural progression of that there you go. That's a free one like, for you chefs out there. <laughs> I feel like if anyone could make that work, it would be Taco Bell. Because Taco Bell does these wacky off-the-wall menu developments, but <clears throat> they're all good. Like, you never hear people be like, oh, I tried this Taco Bell thing and it was disgusting. It's like they do things that sound like they wouldn't be good, and then they're always good. And so I feel like if the spicy ice cream or the cheesy ice cream is going to be a thing like taco bell could be the one to pull it off well we did see um kfc a few years ago did that cheetos crusted uh chicken that was one of the most delicious things i've ever eaten and so i feel like other chains are starting to kind of get into that lane too, seeing the success from taco bell and trying to see what else can we do who can we partner with who can we use to push the limits of what our brand is because taco bell does it just so well like there's no competition for taco bell taco bell is its own competition so I think other chains are trying to figure out a way in there. All right, so you're both on mute, so I'll just continue talking. Uh... <laughs> okay, We're so... trying to communicate something to you in that, Holly. We're done with this. 
Well, let's talk about Hop Dottie because this is a really interesting menu as well. Brett and I were talking about for an episode of First Bite um, is that Hop Dottie is changing its or is introducing in six uh, sandwiches, I believe, might be less, to regenerative meat, which is meat that basically like regrows things. Again, I'm not very eloquent when I talk about this, but Brett really is. You should go. Can I? May I? May I? (laughs) Yes. Because I don't think you're right. (laughs) So regenerative meat is basically it puts back more into the earth than you take from it. So the other in other words, regenerative regenerative meat is designed to be like to not like have a footprint on the planet. It's designed to because the problem with meat so often is, of course, the methane that goes into the atmosphere it's all the chemicals that go into the ground. It's all of the, the operation tends to be very taxing on the planet. Regenerative meat is meat raised in such a way that it, it puts nutrients back into the soil and actually is kind of, you know, better for the, well, it's certainly way better for the planet. I'm probably not getting that hundred percent right either, but that's the gist of it. Go listen to Brett talk about it on first bite. He was he knew exactly what he was talking yes. about. He was actually very He's excited about us. this. He's much smarter than us. And he was very excited about this. He was <laughs> he was really like excited about this story and that chains are moving to do this. And he's written a few other chains that are actually using regenerative meat. Regenerative, that's a hard word. Regenerative meat. It is meat. A hard word to say. Yeah. It's it's actually starting to trend a little bit, this this regenerative meat. Um, and so Brett was just saying that it's it's exciting that brands are starting to do this and move in this direction because they're not just thinking about a one-time LTO. They're thinking about a longer future and that that was really interesting to him. Um, but I mean, when it comes to the taste, he said the taste is exactly the same. And that right now it's a little bit more expensive than it would be, but um, they're working on getting that price down and getting it more available to other people because right now it's not as available as regular beef. Is You could pop that up at the grocery store you can't pick this up at the grocery store you have to go through specific right. channels so hop dotty which is an austin-based chain is doing this for a few menu items something else i thought was interesting about this is that i'm another person who like had heard of regenerative beef but didn't like know couldn't have told you what it was before this week um didn't know really anything about it and as i was reading this story i realized that that's part of the point Hopdotty said specifically that part of the reason they're doing this is to raise awareness and to get people talking about it and to make it hopefully one day like a mainstream option um, and alternative to traditional beef. So I was like, well, there you go. This thought I was having wasn't me being an idiot. It was like literally part of the point. I'm also an idiot, but that, you know, wasn't the point. (laughs) I'm glad you can admit it. I, I, I saw both of you do the thing with your face where you're like, did she we just did say that. she's not an idiot? No, that's not what I said. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's literally, you know, they were like, hey, people don't know what this is, but we think it's a really great option. And it's actually an option for us right now. So let's do it. Let's put it on the menu. Let's start a conversation. Uh, so that was, I thought, an interesting. I think chains do that more than we know, but it's unusual for restaurants to say like hey this is part of the point is like we just want to start a conversation here uh so i think that's a really cool thing that they did yeah and um i mean another important part of the story is that they're pulling the meat analogs off their menu which you know are the 
um, the, the meat alternatives. Um, and I think that's an important point. And one of the statements they're trying to make as part of the release is that if what you're interested in is sustainability. So if you're not a vegetarian or a vegan, um, if you are aiming to eat better, uh, for the planet, a plant-based meat product is not necessarily the right alternative for you. That there's this sort of misnomer that if that plant-based alternatives are kind of just are just better, and and the fact of the matter is, a lot of them are not actually better for the planet. And that's a point they emphasized in their in their press release. The Hop Daddy said, uh, Matt Schweitzer, their uh, executive chef pointed out that like it is not necessarily better for the planet the plant-based meat alternatives are purely a if you're a vegetarian and a vegan and you want to taste something that tastes like a burger or if you want to help cut down on the number of animals that we need to feed the planet which is it legitimate is a legitimate concern um so i'm not trying to poo-poo you know the plant-based analogs but mostly just to say is that like there are people out there who think they're eating plant-based burgers to the to um, improve the planet and 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 that's not necessarily uh, helpful. So regenerative meat is a way for meat eaters to eat meat that takes care of the planet. Um, and I think that's an important distinction. As somebody who is not a vegetarian or a vegan and who does really love burgers once in a while, um, this is a very appealing option for me because, again, if I want to feel better about my decision, not maybe for my body, but if I want to feel better for the decision for the planet, this is the kind of meat that you should choose. And to clarify, they do still have a plant-based burger on their menu, but it is in-house plant-based. So they create it, they do everything. So they, they believe in that. They just yeah. don't want any of the analogs that are introduced that we already know are full of chemicals. Um, I mean, I think that this story reminds me a lot of the cell-cultivated meat story that it's only available for a certain level of restaurant, certain level of chain that, or that wants to go in this direction, that wants to educate people. And I think it's one of those things where like they do it because, like I'm saying, because they want to educate people. And that's, I think, what a lot of the cell cultivated meat that Jose Andres and Dominique Crenn are doing is that they want to really educate people through their food. And I think that's a really interesting thing to think that people want to educate you. Yeah. And I mean, Hop Daddy is, I, I think, 35, 40 locations, something around there. Um and so, you know, not huge, but that's impactful. That's, I mean, that's enough scale to make a statement. And then hopefully that by doing this, they get the attention, not just of consumers, but other restaurant companies, right? Because there's a specific farm that Hop Dottie is using for this regenerative meat. And I'm thinking about something like a, a Neiman Ranch several years ago, you know, Chipotle kind of put them on the map because they were doing, you know, better uh, meat production and a lot of other restaurant companies, I think because of Chipotle's use of Neiman Ranch, a lot of other restaurant companies kind of went in that direction as well because it sort of put them on the map in a way for the restaurant industry. Similarly, I think this could be something where Hop Dottie is putting this farm on the map. And, and that doesn't have to be the only farm doing it. There are others that hopefully will kind of rise up as this picks up some steam. But yeah, you, you, know, you have to start small with a movement like this. Uh, in order to kind of get the ball rolling. And this is a great way to get the ball rolling. Well, let's talk about the ball stopping now. And that is Boston Market. Oh, that wow. ball has stopped. It's exploded. It's in smithereens. <laughs> well done. Nice. <laughs> uh, so Boston Market is going through it. Let's just say that. They are having a tough time. 
Um, they could probably use a little bit of therapy, a little bit of help for themselves, but you know, we're, we're going to help them out on this podcast. We are going to decipher what their issue is and tell them what to do or what we think they should do. And that might not be the right thing because we don't own any restaurants. Um, so Boston market had to close its, its New Jersey restaurants, 27 of them because of labor violations, meaning back pay was just $633,000 they settled for. So a lot of money. Um, so they've reopened their New Jersey units that were closed because of this pay situation. Um, and their owner, Jay Pandya is just not really helping them. And they're, so these restaurants reopened, but they're continuing on as if nothing happened basically. So Joanna and I were talking for first bite and she said that she thinks they're heading for bankruptcy and that this would not be the first time a Jay Pandya company went to bankruptcy. He, he was in charge of Kosi not Kosi. Yes, Kosi. Corner Bakery. Oh, corner Bakery. Thank you. <laughs> and I confuse them all the time. I used to live near both of them and I was like, I don't know which one is which. Corner Bakery. And they declared bankruptcy under his leadership. So we do have that as a factor in this. Um, but the thing is, if they go to bankruptcy, somebody has to buy them out or they just go away forever. And so we don't really know what's going to happen with that as far as any of us can tell. So what do you guys think about this story? Do you think that there is a future for Boston Market with rotisserie chickens and supermarkets? I mean, the bigger story here is, well, there's a lot going on in this story. I mean, first off, let's just say how tragic it is that this brand was allowed to just die. Um, That there seemed to have been some bad actors who just didn't care that a brand that, let's just start with, meant something to, to customers, you know. There are plenty of loyalists out there for Boston Market. Once upon a time, Boston Market was really a leader in fast casual and elevating, you know, the the QSR experience. And that meant something to consumers. So first off, just for that to just be allowed to just die. Second off, it was employing thousands of people, right? And so again, uh, an, uh, that this was just allowed to just wither away. Um May this be a lesson, uh, and I'm, I don't, you know, look, we, a lot of this story is we have to make assumptions because of the owner's lack of transparency about a lot of stuff. Of course, he's not going to walk out, come out and say, yep, I did it. I killed Boston Market. Ha <laughs> ha. See, we, you know, he's not going to do that. But we, so we have to make a, some assumptions about what he did do. And, um, and it's, it, I'll go on a tangent just really quickly. If you haven't watched the movie BS High on the HBO, I highly recommend it because it's about the Bishop Sycamore scandal, which was a football scandal happened based here in Columbus a couple years ago. And it was this con man, a con man who started a football team uh, that was meant to be a prep school for high school football players to come and kind of be known and then go on to get into college. Um, this con man who, by the way, participated heartily in the documentary and all but confessed to being a con man. Um, he, he brought all these people into his orbit with these, um, empty promises and just ended up conning one person out of the other. And, and, and he destroyed lives. He just, there was just this awful destruction in his wake and he has no remorse for it on this documentary. Of course, he's not going to take any of the blame. 
And I watched that documentary about the same time this story broke with Boston Market. And I was like, oh, huh, kind of reminds me of somebody, huh? And I'm not out here to make accusations aside from saying there are some bad apples out there who seek their own personal gain from things. And that's at the cost of a lot of other people's lives. And this kind of seems to be an example of that. I don't know where Boston Market goes from here. It's a mess. Who would want it? You know what I mean? Like who wants to go in there and clean up that mess? If it files for bankruptcy, which Corner Bakery had to do, you know, like these are good brands that were destroyed by people who just weren't as invested in them as they should have been. And anybody who's going to want to clean that up is going to be in for years and years of of cleanup duty. And who wants that? So I, all around a very sad story because employees' lives are ruined, franchisees, owner, operators, um, you know, customers who turn to Boston Market for uh, a meal for their family. All of that just kind of flushed away by people who didn't want to pay their bills. You know, like it's, it's highly, it's just, it's ugly. And it's just kind of an ugly look at how some people act. I agree. Um, and I, I do especially agree with everything Sam said about this being like potentially such a great brand. Like I have memories of Boston market as a kid, like all of that. But I have to say when I saw the headline the other day that all these Boston markets had reopened, I kind of thought, Oh, that's kind of a bummer for like the people who work there. I felt like going into this, I felt like a quote best case scenario would be everyone gets their back pay and then all the Boston markets just shut down and those people can go work at other restaurants or do whatever else they want to do. Because through all of this, through talking to Joanna about, Joanna has talked to so many people who work at Boston market from the top levels all the way down to people who work in the restaurants. And my impression is that there are a lot of people in the company, especially at the bottom, but also at the top who really care about Boston Market and who want to fix this mess. But I feel like, you know, there are bad apples at the top and the people at the bottom are really suffering for it. And I feel like, you know, the best case scenario for those people would be to go work somewhere else. And a lot of them have, and a lot of them are trying to. Um, but now that these stores are reopened, you know, are people going to say, oh, well, like, I'll give it another shot working here, or are they still trying to get out? So it was just kind of like a weird reaction in me because I'm like, I'm really, really, really glad that this investigation happened and that they got their back pay. And I hope the same thing is happening in Colorado and everywhere else where these lawsuits are taking place. I hope that the vendors all get their money. Uh, but I also just like, it just almost as much as I love Boston market and the brand, it feels like a lost cause. It really feels like a best case scenario for like the good people in this story would be for it to just go away so that they could go be elsewhere. Uh, I also agree with Sam. It just feels like such an impossible brand to save at this point. I mean, in an already tight labor market, how are you going to get people to come work at a restaurant that is known for this. Uh, I mean, a, a lot of these stores have closed because they've been forced to by these investigations, but a lot of Boston markets have closed because they just already don't have enough people to work there. They've closed because they don't have any supply chain left because they've, you know, the vendors 
have stopped providing because they're not getting paid. Managers are having to, uh, you know, go to grocery stores and buy ingredients to cook for customers. I also feel bad for a lot of the GMs in this story because I feel like the GMs that Joanna has spoken to care so much about their team um, and don't want to leave because they don't want to abandon their team, but they're like fighting for everyone to get paid. And it just, it's such a mess that I really just feel like having Boston Market totally shut its doors just feels like the only outcome where like the good people end up <laughs> happy. And well, like what they've they already kind of been, they were already on a downward streak when BJ's and Costco and those places start offering their own rotisserie chickens <laughs> at a better price. And so that was, that was, as Joanna was telling me, that was really the impetus for Boston Market's decline. And then it just kept sure. falling down the hill and falling and falling and falling. And now it's like, way at the bottom of the, in the valley it's not even on the ground anymore it's in the valley it's under there and who wants to drag something up at the top of a mountain from a valley no one no one would want to do that and it's not like how we talk about with subway where they were kind of not doing great this is so much worse because didn't they pay like six hundred thousand dollars to around 300 employees like that's a yep. lot of money they owed them a lot of money so that's something to also think about too is that like these employees stayed there despite not having their paychecks like that shows a level of respect for the brand and that they really do like you guys are saying they really want it to, to survive they stuck around for several thousand dollars in back pay that they're missing so um it's something it's an interesting story it's a sad story um and it's always sad to see a restaurant company just fall well may it be also i mean it's i know that there's for the lessons for everybody outside of the Boston Market organization, this is a unique situation. But you know, for anybody looking to sell their company, or even if they're just looking for an investment in their company, I vet those people because <laughs> sometimes people with a lot of money aren't going to be the right stewards for your brand. Maybe maybe that's one lesson that others should take from this story. Yeah, definitely. Well, that was a real downer to end on. Sam, do you want to talk about create a little bit for an upper? Oh, I want to eat lunch. That's what I want to do. Because <laughs> all this menu talk has made me hungry. Even talking about Boss Market was sad, but man, rotisserie chicken sounds great <laughs> right now. Um, yeah, so we're we're uh, just about 10 days away from Create. If you're listening to this on Friday when this drops, we will be nine days away from Create. Um, look, you've heard us talk about it already, so I, I probably don't need to um, do much changing your mind at this point. But especially if you're in the Southwest and you're on the fence and you can drive to Palm Springs, uh, even if you come hang out with us for a day, this is a, an event unlike any other restaurant conference. Um, you know, we know that right now it's kind of a murderer's row of restaurant events. Everybody I talk to right now has just been traveling every week. I get it. It's busy. Um, we're kind of the last one of, of a string of about five weeks where there's kind of a big event every week. Um, just let me assure you, this one will be different than everything um, in that this is not going to be morning to night panels. Um, this is not going to be fall asleep, look at your email while people are talking kind of conferences. Uh, this is going to be a very engaging, interactive event uh, with fast pace, with leaders that you wouldn't see at a lot of other uh, events, leaders who are um, sometimes um, sort of hidden gems, but sometimes uh, leaders of brands that maybe you do well know, but they haven't really been out there on the on the circuit. Um, we tried to curate a lineup of speakers who could really speak to especially sort of the small and mid-sized chain that's in growth mode. 
And so a lot of our content's designed around that. We've got especially three content pillars that most of the content's built around, and that's technology, financing growth, and operational excellence. So we're really just sort of pursuing, um, you know, dynamic content, dynamic speakers who can help to get to the bottom of what is the state of things for each of those categories? Where is the industry going in the future? And again, with really sort of fast paced interactive sessions and it's in Palm Springs for crying out loud. It's at the Margaritaville resort. As we mentioned, it is going to be, it's going to feel like a vacation so much. So I'm actually going to be there next week for a few days before create as a vacation, because I'm just going to go hang out there and just be there because it's beautiful and wonderful. And Frankly, I need a vacation. So um, that is uh, that's my pitch. Again, I know at this point, nine days away, you it's hard to book a flight to Palm Springs. So if you are basically in the radius of Palm Springs to like Phoenix, Salt Lake City, Vegas, LA, San Diego, if you're anywhere in that area, um, you could drive there. Just just come hang out. It's going to be a great time. Um, and we're going to have a lot of content coming out on the podcast after create. So you'll have an opportunity to hear from the, some of these speakers, but it's just not the same as actually being there in person. So join us create.nrn.com. It is free. It's a free event. If you're a restaurant employee, leader, manager, comp, you know, owner, blah, blah, blah. You can register for free at create.nrn.com. Sam, will you be standing there saying, you get a margarita, you get a margarita, you get a margarita when people walk in. Cause I think that'd I be am, a nice. Move. I am now that, that sounds kind of amazing. <laughs> I do know that you will get a margarita. There will be margaritas handed to you when you get there. Um, and then lastly, I'll say, hopefully my congestion is gone by then because I already feel like I'm not going to be able to talk in three days and I'm not even at in Palm Springs yet. So thank you. Back to school. <laughs> Lovely. We love children here and their diseases. Um, before we go too deep into that rabbit hole, I'm wow. going to throw it over to <laughs> to Alicia, who interviewed Carissa DeSantis as the Chief Technology Officer of Bricks Holdings at the Prosper Forum. But thank you guys for joining me today. Before we throw it over to Alicia, thanks, Holly. Thanks, Holly. Hi, uh, I'm Alicia Kelso, Executive Editor at Nation's Restaurant News. I'm at the Prosper Forum in Amelia Island, Florida. I have got Carissa DeSantis, the Chief Technology Officer. Um, for Bricks Holdings uh, with me. She's been there for two years and I'm thrilled to have her. She has a tremendous amount of experience in the restaurant industry, um, including with Dickies and TGI Fridays. And, and you know, we love talking to women in tech because they're, you know, rare, rare, <laughs> <laughs> rare species. So yeah. um, thanks for joining us, Carissa. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Um, as mentioned, you've been with Bricks for about two years. So yep. you came on board at a Peculiar time, <laughs> yes. Um, and especially as a, you know, a, a somebody in the tech, um, in the tech role that oversees the tech role. So tell me, you know, sort of walk me through those first few, I guess, months on the job sure. when things were changing as quickly. What were your priorities, and how did you even prioritize them? Yeah. Oh goodness, um, it was a lot of work, um, but you know, I, I love a challenge. Um, you know, one of the reasons that they had brought me on uh, at Bricks was due to the fact that, you know, with our multiple brands and they were all acquisitions and then throw COVID in there for a couple of years before I joined, um, you know, everything was disjointed. Nothing was cohesive. There wasn't a source of truth for data. Everybody was using something different. Um, and so really one of the biggest things that I needed to tackle right away was how to centralize all of that so that, you know, we could 
then once we got into the everything is there, we have the data we need, all the plugins and everything's talking to each other, um, then we could grow, right? That's our goal is to grow and, and increase our franchise organization as well as acquire new brands. Uh, I, I kind of jokingly say we inspire to be like Inspire brands. <laughs> um, and so that was a big piece of what I needed to do for the first, you know, six months that I was on the job. So evaluating the tech stack, figuring out what we needed to add so that we could get everything centralized. What was going to work for one brand might not work for another, but we still needed to have all the information. So that was a big bulk of what I did when I first came on. Okay. So two years in, are you streamlined? We are. are. Okay. Yes. Yes. I have such an amazing and mighty team that is literally like a half a dozen people. Um, <clears throat> you know, we rely very heavily on vendor partners. Um, and so being strategic in who we've selected and, you know, like I said, centralizing everything together, we have done just an enormous amount of work in the two years uh, since I've come on board and we are really positioned ourselves right now to grow. And so Great. we're super excited. Great. So now that you have that sort of objective accomplished, if you will. I know that it's a, you know, a, a, a constantly moving <laughs> part, especially now. What has become your priority since? Because there are so many things when you when you talk about a tech stack. I mean, you know, that's you could list that on paper and it go on and on and on. So <laughs> yes. I'm just curious to know yeah. how you prioritize, especially given given the disparity of your brands. I mean, you've got everything from, you know, Red Mango to Friendlies, and you know. Um, Humble Donuts, a new brand we'll talk about, but how do you prioritize that tech? What's what's uh, on top of that tech stack? Yeah, for sure. So um, it started out with getting rid of all the legacy tech that has basically hit the end of its life. Uh, the Friendlies brand that we acquired at the end of 2021, uh, it's 88 years old. We just had our 88th anniversary. Um, and in 1996, they were pioneers of technology. Um, you know, the, the folks that had them before we acquired, uh, they were the first customer installation of Micros Res 3700 point of sale. It was like cutting edge mm -hmm. stuff. And then they didn't touch it for two, three decades almost. Um, and so really pulling out all of that legacy tech was a big piece of what I needed to do to, to right size the the tech stack. Um, and so with what we've got in there now with our new point of sale and the various vendors that we've integrated together, we're in a position now where unlike before, we can make a change in a matter of months versus years where a lot of that legacy tech, it would be a two year roadmap to get things done. And so part of what I like to do is make it easy to use, easy to integrate to and easy to scale. And so that's really, you know, what our our goal has been is we want to get to a point where we can grow and we can scale. And so I had to get tech there so that we could do that very easily and nimbly now. Sure. And in, how? why is scale more important? We've been writing about this, especially since the pandemic. You know, that's that's always our, you know, starting point now. Yeah. Um, but obviously this is a priority to, to Bricks, as you've mentioned. So tell me why that is a priority, you know, and why you're fo so focused on scaling. Just especially in the world of technology, you know, whether it's a restaurant or any other industry, it changes so fast. I mean, there's a new model of smartphone every year and everybody wants to upgrade and enhance and do all those things. And restaurants in our industry have typically been behind the times when it comes to technology. And so they haven't been able to scale and do all the things. And, you know, as unfortunate as COVID was for the industry, it definitely catapulted us into the 21st century um, to understand that technology technology is not just a cost center, it's, it's a revenue center now. Um, and so being able to 
you know, get our tech where it needed to be so that we can grow and grow with the times and not be two years behind everything uh, was an important piece for us. Right. Okay. I love that you said cost center, (laughs) you know, um, consumer facing tech versus operational efficiency, promoting Mm -hmm. tech, if you will. I mean, when we talk about the priorities, um, how do you prioritize that? Because that also seems to be a very complicated balance. Yes. Uh, and, and you've got to keep it balanced like a seesaw, right? You can't have one one, one end way up over the other. Um, and so when I look at all the various technologies that we're using, whether it's customer facing or employee facing uh, internally, you know, it, it's got to be easy to use. It's got to be you know, something that's going to benefit the restaurant or the organization. Uh, I feel that's one of the things that's made me super successful with all of the operational experience I've had in my career because I understand what it's like. And I understand that just because it's cool isn't going to make me more money or save me more money or improve my efficiencies. And so that's the lens that I use when I look at all the technologies that we deploy into the locations. Um, It's got to make us money. It's got to improve efficiencies. It's got to make our franchisees money um, and and create that guest experience. Well, I'm glad you mentioned it because I don't think I mentioned it in your intro. You do have operational experience, Mm -hmm. which does give you a unique lens implementing some of these technologies. Where does automation fit into that? You know, obviously that's a sexy narrative right now. (laughs) Or, you know, even further robotics, you know, they could be one and the same in some circumstances. Mm -hmm. But where do those... Uh, you know, those new techs, if you will, fit into your uh, priority list. Yeah, absolutely. So I think in the restaurant industry, if you're not actively looking at or deploying any sort of automation or robotics, you're behind the curve right now. Um, You know, initially, five, six years ago, a lot of that stuff was ridiculous expensive. It's a lot more cost effective now. And so if you're not looking into or deploying that, like I said, you're going to have to play catch up. You know, we've got a few different things that we've, um, you know, kind of put in place as far as automations go, you know, with uh, smoothies, right? Being able to get those drinks out faster, make them consistently um, and, and be able to to scale better there. Um, our new brand that we just launched in June, the Pizza Jukebox, uh, re- deploys a collaborative robot or a cobot. Um, and what that does is it does all that repetitive stuff, right? The robot makes your pizza for you. It does the toppings, it puts it in the oven. You know, we've got team members that can now spend their time engaging with the guests and building those relationships. The robot does all the mundane tasks that, you know, like I think about that, I think it was a Domino's commercial a couple of years ago where the guy like makes all the boxes really, really, really fast, right? If you had to do that every single day, how bored would you be, right? So using robotics and automation to do those mundane tasks but still have a consistent product that gets out to your guests fast um, every time where your people and those limited people that we have now just because of the loss in the industry, you know, they can spend their time engaging with the guests and having meaningful relationships. Well, I'm glad you brought up Pizza Jukebox. We launched in June. Yes. Your first proprietary brand. Yep. How many are open now? We've just got the one. It's been open for a couple months. We've got another one coming before the end of the year. Um, And it's also unique in the fact that um, our first location is inside of a Walmart. Oh, great. So it's right where guests can walk in and out and see the robot. Luigi is his name. (laughs) Um, And just kind of get that recognition out there. Um, And then in addition to that, we're going to build, you know, brick and mortar sites as well. But it's just kind of our first foray. Any targets in mind or is it too early to tell? Um, We're hoping, you know, in the next year to have, you know, 50 to 100 locations. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And 
Moving forward then, how is BRICS going to approach growing? You mentioned that as a priority, so I'm curious. More acquisitions, any more proprietary? I mean, now that you have a playbook mm -hmm. for proprietary, I imagine this might not be your last? Yeah, it, it definitely is an option. Um, you know, you mentioned acquisitions. There might be a few of those in the works currently as well. Okay. Um, so, you know, we're open to any and all opportunities as we think, you know, we can fit in, you know, a niche in the business and, and scale and grow that way. So okay. Nothing's off the I table. I trust you'll keep us posted. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, what else? Uh, finish, bring us home here. What are you most excited about now that you've got the pieces in place that you were brought on to put into place, mm -hmm. uh, now that you have a playbook for proprietary, now that you have a playbook for acquisitions? Yep. Many of our challenges, I don't know if most is a fair word, but many <laughs> challenges are starting to become a little more clear in the rearview mirror. What are you most yeah. excited about maybe next year and beyond? Yeah, really just being able to kind of do the 2.0 version of everything, right? We did a lot of the nitty gritty, you know, back of the house, ripping out, gutting, putting all the new stuff in. And now let's take that to the next level. Cause I mean, the, probably the most disruptive thing you can do in a location is a network and point of sale. And we did all of that in the last four months. Like it, it was insane. And so now being able to take that and, um, you know, find strategic new partners that we can plug into that and, you know, have a better digital experience. Uh, we're looking at doing some branding with all of the brands potentially in one mobile application. Um, so there's some stuff there that we're looking at to kind of take it to that next okay. phase of growth. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm excited to follow along. And uh, congrats on all the work so far and the work that you're doing now. It's fun to watch. Thank you so much. Appreciate it.